Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Broly Love in the District. Tristan here, along with Jacob. A little bit of scheduling conflicts made it a little bit hard the past couple of weeks, but hopefully going to be getting back on track here for the future. Jacob's going to go ahead and tell you guys what we're going to get into today. Yeah, so this week we're going to be doing our Super Bowl preview. We're going to talk about the conference championships and obviously what we think of the big game. That is going to be a week from today, actually. Um, And then going on to the NHL, the last we spoke, it was before the All-Star break. So both teams have played some games. We're going to talk about that, the All-Star break, and talk about a few re-signings and a big trade. So let's get right into it. Yeah, so uh, we'll start off with conference champion conference championships. And I think the big consensus was 49, 49ers-Bengals, and neither of those teams won. Uh, obviously, well, well, let's go over the Chiefs-Bengals game first, just because that one is the one that we probably have less information on. Uh, for one, I don't think the refs played as big of a role in the game as everyone makes it seem like they did. Like I know a, a big call is that Joe Burrow rough or not, not roughing the passer, the rounding call, which if you look at it, if you look at the, if you go back and look at it, you can see that the nearest receiver is like seven to 10 yards away from the ball. It was nowhere yeah. close to a receiver. He was under pressure and he didn't get it past the line of scrimmage. It was a textbook intentional grounding. There is no way. Uh, and they were saying, oh, well, Patrick Mahomes did the same thing, and it wasn't intentional grounding. Patrick Mahomes' arm got hit when he threw that ball. And also, you know who is the person who hit his arm with that uh, – hit his arm on that pass? Joseph Osai, who committed the penalty later in the game to ultimately lose them the game. But uh, they – I, I think the rest, I don't think the rest played as big of a role as everyone says they did. Obviously, uh, officiating is something that comes into play altogether in any game, but I don't think it was as bad in either of the games as either losing team made it seem. I mean, I don't think it was as bad as everyone made it out to be, but there's some bad calls like that third and nine where they just blew it dead for no reason. Um, That made that wasn't no. Okay. So I don't remember the exact reason why they blew it dead, but the ref was coming in from up top of the field and there it's not wrong. It wasn't, they did what they needed to do in giving them that down back. And everyone says, Oh, that third and nine, like, that was such a blown call. First off, they blew the play dead. Who knows who stopped playing in between the ref blowing the whistle and Pat Mahomes snapping the ball and playing because he, he was the only ref that was blowing the whistle. Secondly, once they got that down back, they went out and Patrick Mahomes took a five-yard sack, which ultimately yeah. worked out better for the Bengals than it would have if they left it. So that – I I mean, I get that argument, but the league – when you blow a play dead before the play even happens, you can't say nothing's you can't say nothing's gonna happen. It was the ref probably should have made more of an effort, yes, because he was coming in all the way from like down the field. So he should have made more of an effort. But again, that play ultimately meant nothing because when he came back out, it was a he got sacked. So there, yes, there were some things wrong before the play, but I don't think giving the play back was an issue it that was definitely the right call by the officiating crew i just think it was a little questionable but in the end it didn't really matter um but in this game i think one of the big reasons the Bengals lost is they just could not run the ball at all um i think that's the for me that's the biggest reason why they lost um all day i think considering how good the chiefs offense is the Bengals defense did enough um, and I just think when it came down to it, um, the Bengals couldn't establish that run game. And for me, that's one of the bigger reasons why they lost. And then obviously, would the kicker have made it if Osai did not uh, push um, Mahomes out of bounds? It, it was it was a 45-yarder, I think, with the penalty. So it would have been a 60-yarder. Granted, for a lot of NFL kickers, for the most that's part, possible. they're going to make that. But uh, at north of 60 is where you're starting to get a little bit iffy. But uh, any 
like 60, he's probably going to make that, especially Harrison Butker is no pushover when yeah, kicking. He's, he, a, good he's a good kicker. He's definitely up there in the league, but I I think obviously that Joseph Osai penalty was huge for the team. Uh, yeah. And you were saying the big reason they lost was because they couldn't get the run game going. Another thing was as as soon as Joe Burrow snapped the ball, he was under pressure. Yeah, like, their offensive line. The line was getting after the Bengals' offensive line. So Joe Burrow had no time in the pocket. As soon as he snapped it, he had to get rid of it. And yeah, uh, yeah Chris he, Jones had a huge game. Chris Jones, not like he wasn't a big time player coming out of college, but he definitely looks a lot better. When he was coming into the draft, I had no idea who he was. I didn't know who he was until a couple years after he got drafted, but. He is a really good D tackle. He's a good piece for the future for them. Uh, kind of an under the radar guy too. I didn't notice like this year he had 15 sacks, which I believe was the most amongst D tackles. So yeah. he had a pretty decent year. And in my opinion, it was under the radar, but I think that's mostly because D tackles don't really get the, the respect that they deserve because they're in the middle of the D line. No one really looks at them except for like Dexter Lawrence and Aaron Donald. Because Aaron Donald lines up all but over the But even those guys, they'll sometimes switch to the edge. Yeah, that they're, Aaron Donald lines up all over the players place. players than true defensive tackles. So, uh, like I said, Chiefs D-line was getting after Joe Burrow the entire game. Made life hell for him back there. And I think that was a big reason why they lost. I don't think the refs played as big of a factor in it as much as everyone did. Like I said, that that blown call where they, needed to, where they gave him the down back, it was right. In the officiating standpoint, I don't see why people are complaining because, like I said, it was a sack. Uh, the roughing the passer, I th- that's another one I wanted to talk about, was the missed roughing the passer. That is the only one where I think they might have actually missed it. Have you seen the clip where Frank yeah. Clark comes through the line? Now, here's my take on it. I think, should it have been a roughing the passer call? Maybe. Did it? Frank Clark come in really late? Absolutely. But... It kind of looks like he just went in and just kind of slapped him on the chest. And it looked like Joe Burrow might have taken a little bit of a flop. So I I can't really, you can't really tell from the angle that it was at from behind Joe Burrow. But from what I see, it kind of looked like it may have been a flop. And it looked like Frank Clark just gave him a nice tap on the chest. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there. That With roughing the passer, for me, it's difficult nowadays because we've seen worst roughing the passer plays get called. And I think that call is so difficult to call nowadays. I think, like, the rules need to be nailed down because um, I think I, – I, I, I agree with – I agree that it shouldn't have been a roughing the passer. But if you look at the history, especially this – this year in the league um very similar plays have been called so maybe i think that's one of the reasons why people hate hate that call so much understand where the refs are coming from but if you're looking at it through a consistency standpoint there are some questions that need to be asked and consistency is a big piece of it i mean the catch obviously the catch was a big issue for years upon years they never really had a staple as to what a catch was in the nfl Mm -hmm. and once they determined, I think ultimately the rules for a catch have been pretty deemed pretty well now. They're usually pretty clear on what a catch is, and they're sticking with it too. Like that Hunter Henry catch on Thanksgiving against the Vikings, they say if you don't survive the ground and the ball pops out, uh, then it's not a catch. Hunter Henry, he had it, the ball popped out when he hit the ground. Granted, it didn't touch the ground. But it still popped out, and that's the consistency that they need to have. So they if they can figure that out with the roughing the passer, then I think it'll be better than what it is at now. I mean, trying to find that happy medium for everyone, though, is a hard a hard point. But like I, like I said, when they found that medium for the pass, and now that they have set what a catch is, you don't hear as much complaining about it. That Hunter Henry yeah. catch was the only complaining I've heard about an NFL catch in a couple years now. But yeah, but yeah, uh, they did nail down the rules. But you go back a few years ago, there was the Dez catch, the Jesse James catch. There's like there were so many different well, non catches and catches, and I think that that was one of the biggest problems people had with the league at that point. And but 
the league was able to nail that down. I think they need to do that with roughing the passer because I do think they're protecting quarterbacks a little too much. I understand, like, the word about the concussion things, but some of the roughing the passer calls have been utterly ridiculous. It's like, what do you want them to do? Yeah, Just exactly. to touch them? Um, so I do think that's the next big thing I think the league needs to address. It's, it's football. And speaking of the nailing down the roughing the passer rules, have you seen they're going into a meeting to talk about the hip drop tackles? Yeah, I have. Which, again, I mean, they're kind of taking away the physicality of football. It, yeah. If you have, especially Derrick Henry, like, just for example, if you are Derrick Henry most of the time, after you get past the first level, you're going to be the biggest person on the field. The yeah. odds of a 190-pound quarterback coming in and being able to tackle you without dropping his hips and bringing his entire weight down are slim to none. That's going to make Derrick Henry unstoppable. They're taking out the physicality of the game. Hip drop tackles, yes, they're not the safest, but at the same time, you're playing a game where you know the risks, you know you're going to get tackled, you know you can get injured. There's just some things that I think you can't take away, and hip drop tackles, that's one of them. The roughing the passer, I mean, the fact that they're saying you can't drop your weight on the quarterback how you're supposed to pick them up lay them down give them a pillow give them a blanket like there's just good, some good things tuck them in. there's some things that you can't change and you need to leave in the sport hip drop tackles being one of them yeah and with if they were to get rid of hip drop tackles i think that would do a lot worse because you would maybe see a less angle ankle injuries but you'd see a lot more head collisions and head injuries because that these um, um, safeties are going to tr be trying to go for the chest. They're not to lead with their shoulders and head more because they cannot wrap around the legs and drop. They're going to have to go more for the upper body, and you're going to get hit in the head more. I just, I do not think it's the right decision to get rid of drop tackles, and I think it'll be a big mistake if the league does it. Or, on top of that, you saw what Derwin James did to Travis Kelsey where he came up behind him and picked him up and threw him over his shoulder because... He doesn't. Yeah. He had no. He if he, yeah, there's gonna get there's gonna get more of those tackles in the NFL. So there's some things that you can't take away from the game. Hip drop tackles being one of them. I mean, there's yeah. just yeah. And earlier, I wasn't trying to say roughing the passer needs to be taken out of the game because uh, that yeah, needs no. to stay. But what I was saying yeah. is like some of the physical tackles that they're saying is roughing the passer needs to be taken yeah. out. Yeah, because there's really been some utterly ridiculous calls that are clearly. For, for the offense, and I, one of my big re, um, problems with the league nowadays is all of the rules are conducive towards the offense, and I think that just needs to be leveled out more. Like, I don't think we need seventies defense back when you see like Mel Blunt like clotheslining people when he's playing cornerback. I, I'm not saying that, but I think they need to get back to a point where it's not so one-sided in terms of rules and calling. Well, high scoring brings in the money, and ultimately we know that's yeah. the NFL. The NFL is going is a business. They want the money, so higher scores, more views. That is big for them. So they have to find the happy medium there for everyone. Uh, but Chiefs win that, advance to the Super Bowl. They were done with the Burrowhead comments and all the trash that Cincinnati was talking. So, but I mean, you look at it, the AFC for the next 10 years is going to be every year is going to be Mahomes, Burrow, Josh Allen. One of those three are probably going to be in the AFC championship for the next 10 years, no doubt. Yep. And then you throw in Trevor Lawrence looked good this season. He looks like he's growing under Doug Peterson, Justin Herbert, Lamar, if he signs back there in Baltimore, uh, you, you got a lot of young, talented quarterbacks in the AFC. See how Kenny Pickett, comes along in the next few years so there's going to be a lot of competition in the afc especially with all those young guys uh so i don't think burrow is you know any further removed from his ability to win a super bowl not winning it this year i think he'll have a pretty bright future for the next couple of years especially after i'm interested to see how his contract works out because they're gonna have to re-sign him this offseason like the eagles are gonna have to do with jalen hurts and he's gonna get it. He's gonna get a bag, that is for sure. But I want to see how he structures it. I feel like he's the type of player to be like Tom Brady and try to structure his contract in a way 
that he can still have other players around him because they're going to have to I'm resign. Kind of they're going to have to resign T. Higgins soon. Uh, Jamar Chase is going to need a contract in a year or two. Tyler Boyd, obviously, he's a huge piece. Joe Mixon, they need an offensive. Uh, uh, are you sure about Joe Mixon, bro? Uh, we'll we'll see about that. Uh, but uh, they obviously are going to need an offensive line if Joe Burrow is going to survive back there. Like it's, they definitely are going to have some. Uh, I'm interested to see what Joe Burrow is going to do with his contract and how they're going to work that because he's definitely pro- he's probably going to be the quarterback to reset the market. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Him and Lamar are really going to change that. I'm interested to see who gets signed first. Yeah, because I think the other one is going to try and use that as leverage for their own contract. Well, this guy got this, so I want something similar. Yeah, exactly. So I'm interested to see who signs first, what agent kind of holds off. But if Lamar gets a franchise tag, like there's also talk, then that kind of eliminates Lamar even affecting Joe Burrow's contract. So that's a huge piece. And Deshaun Watson ultimately screwed up the entire QB contract situation Mm too. Uh, But going on to the Eagles 49ers game. Now Eagles won an ugly game here. I will be complete. I'll be the first to admit it. They got, I don't want to say bailed because even if Brock Purdy was starting and he did finish the game, I think the Eagles are still winning that game, but when Brock Purdy got hurt and the offense was only on the field for three plays at a time and the defense kept on coming out, that's yeah, ultimately and, what killed him. And you saw and the, in the, yeah, the defense got psyched out. They were, they weren't able to do anything. And if you look at the offensive stats for the Eagles, they only had 269 yards total. That's not really that impressive, but if, but when you look at the score and you look at the, context of the game you could see that it wasn't close at all the eagles were just able to shut them down but i mean the defense the 49ers defense were really shooting themselves in the foot there was they had a roughing the punter call they had some passing every yeah every single time they every single time they made a stop they were going to get off the field there was a penalty and again that's that wasn't the refs helping the eagles there was not one and i mean you can say i sound biased all you want for me saying this but as a genuine NFL fan, looking at all those calls, there was not one of those where I was like, oh, that shouldn't have been called. Because even though I am an Eagles fan, I'll take those calls. But if I look at it and I don't think it should have been called, then I'll say it shouldn't have been called. So yeah, like, even, there's been plays like that, even that roughing the kicker call, that is probably the only one where I'm like, that one may have been iffy because he hit the... He, he got pushed. He, yeah, so, what, so the difference between a roughing the punter and a hitting the kicker or it's whatever the other one yeah there's there's two different ones but one's a five yard penalty and one is a 15 unnecessary roughness automatic first down Mm -hmm. so there was a huge difference because i believe that was a fourth and six so it still would have been fourth down eagles probably would have punted but that's the only one where i was like iffy because he didn't hit the plant leg the plant leg is the roughing the kicker that is the 15 yard penalty the just hitting the kicker is a five yard penalty and that's if you hit the leg that's up in the air so but he hit the leg that was in the air his kicking leg but the way he hit it pushed the punter and kind of like knocked him knocked him out knocked his balance off so i mean i could see it going either way but i definitely see where that one was kind of a bit of an iffy call but again either way all the other calls the defensive holdings the pass interferences like they they were legit there wasn't anything where i was like yo that definitely should not have been called the only other thing i think that the refs kind of messed up was that Devontae smith catch and i think the eagles even knew it as well that's why you saw them rush that's why Devontae smith was doing this yeah and i think shanahan just didn't have the time to really look at this as much as he probably wanted to and he just thought i'm gonna eat in the shorts or he didn't realize something that's the only other Thing. And I think the refs really the, got that's a that's crazy. again like that's not even that's more a kudos to the Eagles because so yeah. every team every team has that hurry up like I didn't catch that pl- or I I don't know if I caught that yeah, sign just saying like just get yeah get the ball snapped as quick as possible that's more of a bad call on Shanahan and the 49ers now yeah. every every single one of those big plays is reviewed. I'm sure that play was being reviewed upstairs, but I don't know why or how, but they said on the broadcast that 
they didn't get the angle that the Eagles had or that they got after we scored saying that that where you saw the ball clearly come out and there's a specific time. So Shanahan, while he's down on the sideline, while the Eagles are rushing to the ball, there is someone on the 49ers looking at those angles and saying, Hey, like you need to review that. He, I don't think he caught that. And that's where the challenge flag comes in. Like you said, I don't think the Eagles gave him enough time for whoever was upstairs for the 49ers to get all the angles to see it. So again, I don't really think it was a, referee blown call it was obviously a hard call to make because of the way that the only way you really saw it was from the inside and the ref was on the outside there it was just a hard call to make on the spot and the eagles did a good job of getting to the line getting the ball snapped and just keeping on going so again i wouldn't really say that's a ref botch call that that's a football play right there in my personal opinion i if it was going against me would i be a little bit more angry about it yes but at the same time i would probably see it the same way saying you can't really do anything about it so yeah but yeah brock purdy going down ultimately hurts the 49ers a ton because josh johnson obviously not an nfl starting quarterback i know you have your ptsd from him and just love to hear that name from the two games he started he actually won one but when i saw him coming into the game i'm like oh they're gonna lose i didn't even know he was still in the league I didn't either, and when I saw that, I was I legit laughed out loud. Like, but, it, yeah, I mean, I, the defense, despite having no quarterback, they still had the number one defense in the league, and their defense held strong for just under the first half, and then they got too tired, and that, that's... Yeah. You, you could see yeah. the, the power and the ball control that the Eagles had take a toll on the 49ers defense yeah because the, their offense wasn't doing any them any favors they were doing a lot of three and outs and no matter how good your defense is if your offense can't put together some long drives or help you out you're not going to win there was there was one good drive they had where they scored yeah. other than that it was that incredible touchdown and again they were shooting themselves in the foot on offense too because i remember too i believe they were back-to-back drives where they would get the ball they would make a good play, and then there would be a penalty that would bring them back, and then they yep. couldn't get 15 yards for a first down. So it there were twi- there was twice, and like I said, I believe they were back to back where that happened. So it it they've definitely they definitely shot themselves in the foot with penalties in that game. And yeah, then you saw left a lot to be you saw later in the game just as the game went on, the discipline and the anger started to set in. You saw Greenlaw just taking rocky shots at. Kenneth Gainwell. Yeah, and you saw Trent Williams just toss on me to the side. But speaking of Rocky, the single reason why the 49ers lost is because they touched the Rocky statue. Did Don't you, touch the effing Rocky statue. Did you see Travis Kelsey come on and say, yeah, he's like, don't, don't touch, touch the, the Rocky statue and definitely don't put an 87 jersey on it. <laughs> I did see that. Hey, I mean, if that's, what they, if that's how they want to take their downfall, I'm okay with it. Uh, don't the effing rocky statue did you see george kittle's interview after the game where they asked him how does it how does it feel you couldn't really hear the reporter but he goes how does it feel to lose because i don't have a quarterback yeah it feels pretty crappy uh for lack of a better term but he wasn't happy he was definitely angry that the quarterbacks all went down and in my personal opinion this is just me again speaking at it from home but if i'm brock purdy I don't care how much that arm is hurting. You're in the NFC Championship. You're trying to throw that ball. And yeah. whether it's dink and dunks or whatever. Wasn't it his, um like, it wasn't his throwing hand. It was, like, the controlling hand. No, it was, was his throwing hand. Because when he, when he threw the ball, Hassan Reddick hit it when it was coming back. So it was okay. kind of like a, he had all this momentum going forward, and Hassan Reddick just stopped it suddenly and pushed it back. Yeah, in that case, I think I'd try and do everything I can to stay on the field because, I mean, it, one thing, the momentum for the team, you immediately saw that. I think the energy came out of the team the minute he, he went, went off down. the field. Yeah. You, you could feel it. You could see it. The defense, it was, it, they were just prolonging the inevitable at that point, and the offense, outside of McCaffrey, who had a nice drive, he, they couldn't do anything. Yeah, and McCaffrey, I mean, he had a huge game because they couldn't do anything else. They... You started to see Shanahan pull tricks out of the bag as they were just, they didn't want to run the ball with McCaffrey the entire game, but they had nothing else to do. There was, it, it was yeah. definitely 
rough. As a if I were a 49ers fan, I would not be happy. Uh, I would definitely be a little bit angry at that loss, but there's nothing you could do. That's what you get for touching the Rocky statue. Philadelphia, bad luck. <laughs> yeah, that's just something you do not do. Uh, but Eagles then advance to the Super Bowl, and we get a Kelsey brother Super Bowl, which mm-hmm. I am. I think honestly, I'm happier that the Chiefs won than the Bengals. Uh, I believe the Eagles have a better chance to beat the Chiefs. So, I mean, this is going to be our Super Bowl preview. I I see your face. You, you don't really. I here's here's my reasoning. For one. Just going off the top of my head, just trying to think real quick, I think the Bengals might have the best wide receiver core in the NFL. I would uh, agree with that. So, for one, that's hard to cover in itself. Don't get me wrong. Eagles secondary is really good. Darius Slay, James Bradbury having amazing seasons, and they have Avante Maddox back. That's huge. But I believe the Bengals have one of the best receiving cores in the league. Obviously, Joe Burrow is a top three quarterback in the league. He has such good poise in big games. He is another big piece of that. Their offensive line, obviously a huge weak spot. I think the Eagles the Eagles defensive line would have feasted on them. But then again, their defense, their linebackers, solid. Nothing spectacular, but they're solid. Their defensive line, Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson, both really good pass rushers. Uh and then their secondary, while it might not be the best players in the league, they work well together. Jesse Bates is a top three safety in the league, that's for sure. But Von Bell is another good safety across from him. And then their corners, again, not great, but as a unit in the secondary, they work well. And Mike Hilton is just a dog in the backfield. Do you watch the Pat McAfee show at all? Yeah, sometimes. They they interviewed Lou Amarillo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, and he was saying how Mike Hilton, their slot corner, is just so good at disguising rushes and blitzes that he can be 16 yards off the ball and still get into the backfield when you're trying to, as the quarterback is passing. So he just has a knack for being able to be somewhere else on the field and still get to the quarterback. At one play, Lou Amarillo goes, yeah, I asked him, where did you come from? The next county over? <laughs> like, Just because he's so far away, but he still gets in. As a DB, usually you want to kind of be creeping up to the line as the ball is being snapped, but he can line up. He cannot show blitz and still get back there and cause trouble for the quarterback. So the Bengals, I believe, as a whole, are a better team overall than the Chiefs. And they also had the whole they – had, they had a little bit of swag to them in the playoffs this season. They had the whole Burrow head going. Uh, Joe Burrow just had that team kind of on a cloud nine. They had the whole thing where they were already selling tickets for the Bills Chiefs championship game. And they're like, well, let's not even, you better start sending those refunds. Like they had a whole thing of everyone's writing us off. Let's show them why we shouldn't be written off. And I believe the, the Bengals just had a better moxie going into the game, and I think the Bengals would have had a way better chance to beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Um, I I disagree with that, and here's why. I think if the Bengals made it, I personally think it would have played similar to last year's Super Bowl, where the death of the Bengals comes in their offensive line because, yes, they have good running backs. They have a good wide receiver core. I mean, but we saw it against the Chiefs. If a team with a good pass rush and good defensive line is able to get penetration, which they are quite easily, the Bengals, they they struggle. Um, and I think both their defenses, I would I'd say they're pretty equal. Um, I think the Chiefs have better linebackers, but I prefer the Chiefs' um, defensive line. I think they're pretty similar, but in terms of matchups, I think the Chiefs is worse for you guys than the Bengals. Because I just think, the, like, the Bengals, I think it's a bad matchup for them considering you guys have the most sacks since the 80s Bears, and I just don't think that would play out well. And considering the fact that they wouldn't have Joe Mixon, that would play a big part because I like P. Ryan. He's a good pass-catching running back, but he's not the best runner. He's not um, a number one back. No, no. He's a great second guy, but he's not the number one guy. But with the Chiefs, they have the experience in Andy Reid. They have Mahomes. They still 
they're they have the wide receiver core isn't as good when they had obviously Tyreek Hill, but they have Scanling, they have Juju Smith Schuster. Um with their running backs, they have Isaac Pacheco. Um they still have Clyde Edwards Hilaire if he he, like he did just come. He did just come off of injury. I don't know if he's. Yeah, so they're gonna have may have him back. Um, so I I personally think that the Chiefs are gonna be a more difficult matchup for the Eagles. I think it's gonna be a very close game. But um, looking how you have guys have looked throughout the playoffs and looking at this objectively, I think you guys are gonna win. I so for one. The entire Chiefs wide receiver room is injured. Actually, before I do that, I want to go back to the Bengals thing real quick. I'm not saying the Eagles wouldn't have been able to beat the Bengals because I believe they still had a chance because, like you said, the defensive line, insane, insane plus for the Eagles over that uh, team for the – over that offensive line for the Bengals. So I'm not saying that they wouldn't have been able to beat them, but I do think as a team – just a whole unit, I believe the Bengals are better. But I still think, I think either way, the Eagles have a good chance to win. Now, going over the Chiefs, there are only three players that I am scared of on this team. There are only three positions where I think the Chiefs are better than the Eagles. Do you want to take a guess for what those three positions are? Well, I know it's quarterback, tight end, um, and linebackers? No. my the three The three that I have are... Obviously, quarterback Pat Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. He will probably go down as the best quarterback in NFL history, whether he touches Tom Brady's numbers or not. The way that he extends plays and moves his way around the field and can just make plays, he has a knack for that. In my book, he will probably go down as the best quarterback in the league. Tom Brady numbers or not, doesn't matter. Secondly, Travis Kelsey, obviously, he is a dog. He is really good him and pat mahomes have some sort of different chemistry that no other tandem in the league has kind of like a tom brady gronk tandem chemistry going so those two just have it down pat now the third one the third position that i think the chiefs have an advantage on is chris jones i believe chris jones is better than any d tackle that the eagles have but i think that the eagles d tackle rotation is better than the Chiefs D-tackle rotation. So I think everywhere else on the field, the Eagles are at least a little bit better than the Chiefs on everything. Secondary, by far. Linebackers, I don't know too much about the Chiefs linebackers, so I'm not going to go too far, but I know the way that the Eagles linebackers have been playing this season, and they've been good. Uh, Like I said, D-line, best in the league, one of the best in the league. Offensive line, miles better. Uh, Running back, I think running back is probably a little bit even, a little more even than I think it is. Uh, but yeah. they, and I think Dallas Goddard doesn't get, he's not Travis Kelsey level, but I also don't think that he's miles below Travis Kelsey. He's he's still a good tight end. So, but like I said, Chiefs have no wide, right now, all their wide receivers are hurt. Their top corner in Legereus Sneed is hurt. I'm not sure if he's playing. Uh, and I don't think Juju is the Chiefs number one, quote unquote. But I don't think, even if all their receivers are healthy, that they really put up a fight against the Eagles secondary. Uh, um, I do. I think they will because of Patrick Mahomes. And I think the biggest problem for the Eagles is you haven't played a top quarterback at all this year. That, And I think that is the biggest question for me going into this game. You haven't faced Allen. You haven't faced Mahomes. You haven't faced Burrow. You haven't... You haven't really faced any top think like of... that. The best probably quarterback you played the entire year is maybe like maybe Cousins or Cousins. You know, Cousins was in there. Uh, we faced Trevor Lawrence, but that game was in the rain. Yeah, so... and Trevor Lawrence at the point where you played him. Correct me if I'm wrong. They were still like trying to. Figure yeah, they were. They were still trying to figure things out. Yeah, so you haven't played a quarterback like that at all this year, and I think that's going to be the biggest question. And obviously, Andy Reid playing his former team in the Eagles, I think that's going to be another big... Um, that's a huge storyline. Yeah, because imagine if Andy Reid denies the Eagles their second Super Bowl. Uh, a Another big thing, too, is... Now, 
you say, I, I totally agree with you. I think that Patrick Mahomes obviously is a game changer. But here's the thing with that. We were just saying how the Eagles' D-line is insane. Now, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I don't think the Chiefs' offensive line is anything to scoff at. They're not terrible. But at the same time, they're not great. And the Eagles yeah. are like 10 deep at D-line. They rotate people in and out. They are fresh the entire game. And you also got to keep in mind, I don't care what anyone says about Mahomes. He's a great player. But a high ankle sprain takes four to six weeks to heal. And he gave it one week and then went out and played on it again. Like, and you so, can see in the second half it was starting to bother him. So that's one of the reasons I said I think the Eagles will win is because I think your defensive line, unless like the – uh, Chiefs come up with a special offense that's very fast and a lot of no huddle. Um, if like if the Chiefs aren't really able to do that, then I think your advantage when in terms of your rotations, your um, your guys like that, I think that'll be the big game changer. And obviously the defensive line, they're gonna be looking at the ankle and trying to go for it. Yeah, it's exactly. not it's not the most honorable thing to do, but you saw in the second half of that Bengals game, he was limping on some plays and he was favoring it. Every every defensive player, I heard Quentin Michael, he said anytime a quarterback leaves the pocket or you get a shot at the quarterback, you're trying to hurt him. He's like, mm-hmm. not it's not a bad thing. Like they're not doing it to be to be mean, but I mean, you take out a I team start yeah, you te- take out a team starting quarterback. That's huge. Yeah, uh, look at the 49ers. Like yeah, you said, like having the 49ers. That's that's a number that moment, that's a huge example right there. So, if they get if they can make Patrick Mahomes uncomfortable, even if it's just a slight little pinch in his ankle the entire game that makes it hard for him to run, then they're giving themselves a huge advantage uh going in for the rest of the game. So, like I said, don't get me wrong, Patrick Mahomes great quarterback, but they're there's definitely a way that they can minimize Patrick Mahomes' productivity from the, going outside of the pocket and giving himself extra time, and that's going to be huge for the game. If you remember, Eagles and the Chiefs played once. They played before last year. Uh, they and it was a decent game. The, this was before the Eagles kind of found their groove. It was early in the season, but. Also keep in mind, in this game, the Eagles didn't have the amount of weapons that they have now. They didn't have A.J. Brown. Devontae Smith was their leading receiver. They had Miles Sanders, but this was before they started running the ball and getting that part of their offense opened up. Uh, their secondary was nothing after Darius Slay. Their linebackers, terrible. Like There were just so many holes in this team. And they kept it a game against the Chiefs, who are, were still one of the best teams in the league. Uh, it was a 42-30 final, and Patrick Mahomes, he had a decent game, 24 for 278, five touchdowns and one interception. But a big piece to their offense that they don't have this time, Tyreek Hill. He went for 11 for 186 and three touchdowns. And we're talking about how big of a piece that Travis Kelsey is. Travis Kelsey only had four receptions for 23 yards. So that's that's going to be huge now. Obviously, with Tyreek Hill gone, Travis Kelsey becomes a huge piece to that offense, even bigger than he was before because no Tyreek means Travis Kelsey is more more of a focus in the offense. But with that being said, like I said, this was before they really got their run game going. Jalen Hurts, 32 completions for 387 yards and two touchdowns with another 47 rushing. And then Devontae Smith, seven receptions for 120. 22 yards. Dallas Goddard had five for 56 and a touchdown. Uh, Miles Sanders had a couple completions. This, they had a game last year and they kept it a close game. So I think this is going to be similar to last year where there might not be a ton of defense. And if there is, I believe it's going to be more from the Eagles side than the Chiefs side. But I think this is going to be a high scoring game and lots of offense and definitely a big one for people who, you know, don't usually watch the sport to want to get into the sport from this game because it's going to be that much like yeah, that, I think that exciting. The, it is the makings of a good Super Bowl. My only like thing I dislike about the Super Bowl is I don't like West Coast Super Bowls because I just think in terms of aesthetic-wise, it looks a lot better on the East Coast when it's actually night during the game. Yeah. And that goes for not only the game, but the halftime show. Everything just looks better when it's an East Coast Super Bowl. 
and I prefer ones that aren't in the domes because I, I just like that the weather could play a factor in it. Um, we saw it with the Colts and Bears Super Bowl years ago. It was raining, so that was a factor. Um, so that's my only detraction from it. I understand why they put a lot of Super Bowls out west, but I just prefer to be on the East Coast. Uh, and, I mean, you saw that with the Seahawks-Broncos Super Bowl that was in New Jersey for in the Giants Stadium mm-hmm. at MetLife. Uh, I mean, y- yes, but also, like you said, out west, I agree that it's not as aesthetically pleasing, quote-unquote, because, you know, it's only it's only going to be 4 o'clock there. It doesn't have yeah, the same just, feel to it. But uh, the domes, I understand. You don't really want to... If you're in the cold... I mean, not that Kansas... I guess Kansas City does get pretty cold. Actually, a Super yeah. Bowl in the cold this season would be pretty pretty beneficial. Yeah, like, That'd be my dream cool. is to see a Super Bowl in the snow. I I don't think it will ever happen, but yeah, I would love to see it. Especially a, with a how many teams are moving to domes. Uh, yeah, like I want to see a white Super Bowl. But that's... Yeah, that probably won't be happening ever. So, that's... But yeah, this year would be a cool, cool Super Bowl for the cold, especially since Kansas City... For their like past three or four games have been playing in single digit weather. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, Philadelphia not exactly the warmest place on earth in the winter, so no. it, it would be a cool game to see in the cold. But, but they're playing in Arizona, so uh, forget that. Yeah, I, I think it will. And hey, when it's hot, when it's warmer, that just brings on more scoring because the air floats a, or the ball floats a little bit more. You get a little bit more air under the ball. Uh, when it's cold, the ball is harder, and it makes it harder to catch. So I see why they're doing what they're doing. I mean, like I said earlier, NFL is a business. they got to focus on also bringing in money. So I see yeah. what they're doing there. But ultimately, I think it's going to be a good game. We're going to go full predictions this time. The winner and scores, I'll let you go first. I know you said earlier you think you still um, sticking with the Eagles. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Eagles 24-17. 24-17. Yeah. I am also going to go Eagles, as biased as it sounds. I do believe the Eagles have a better chance to win this game. But I am going to go Eagles 38, Chiefs 31. I think it's going to be a really high-scoring game. Eagles right now one-and-a-half-point favorites, uh, but everything seems to be pointing to it just being a pretty dead-center game and everything. Yeah. Uh, it's looks like it's going to be pretty even. So definitely an interesting game for the Super Bowl. Uh, but with that, that kind of will close out the NFL and pretty much close it out for the season. We'll have one more week to talk about it. So, uh, definitely going to be a painful couple of months coming up here in the next week. Uh, but moving on to the NHL again, not much really going on there because they went to the all-star break. So we have about a week of games to talk about, and then there's nothing else to talk about after that for the most part. Uh, I'll just start out real quick with the Flyers because there was nothing much that went on there except that Carter Hart is, in my opinion, probably the most underrated goalie in the league. First off, I believe he should have been in the All-Star game. Same with Travis Konechny. I think they both got snubbed. Yeah, yeah, there's no reason Hayes should have gone over Yeah, Konechny. I don't think Hayes should have went. Like I said, he's been benched two periods and a whole game this season. I don't think he should have went at all. I think Travis Konechny definitely should have been. And Carter Hart is one of the most underrated goalies in the league. Carter Hart pitched a 40-save shutout against the Jets on last Sunday, so a week ago from today. Uh, he is he is 21-3-5 in his career when facing 40 or 38 or more shots from the opposing team. The amount of poise and control to have to take that many pucks and not let it rattle you is absolutely insane i mean carter hart he's definitely the bright spot of a quite gloomy team right now now i'm saying that but like i said they just shut out the jets who are not a you know bug on the windshield they're definitely a rough team to play against shifley kyle connor Nikolai Ehlers, they got some players over there, and that was against Connor Hellebuck. They, Connor Hellebuck actually got pulled in the game, so they they played some good hockey there. Uh, they're six points out of a playoff spot right now. They start back up on Monday with the with the Islanders, an automatic playoff game coming right off the bat. But uh, 
The thing that scares me a little bit is Travis Konechny is on a little bit of a cold streak, but when you think about it, Travis Konechny was on such a hot streak. He had only had one time where he went back-to-back games without a point. That is insane to do in the NHL. He So in I believe that was about 48 games. Ah, no, it was actually less because he was injured. So I believe it was around 40 games where he had one game, two games back-to-back that one time that he went with no points. He has now done that again. He's on a three-game streak where he hasn't had a point. Uh, so I think what happened is he got his 24th goal, and I think it's now getting in his head because his next goal is his career high. And I yeah. think that's kind of a wall that he's hitting. And it's I think once he gets that, though, he's going to be back on a streak, and he's going to be back on a uh a heater just scoring all over the place, producing points all over the place. So I'm hoping this break kind of gives them a little bit of a little bit of a break from hockey. Let's it lets him kind of clear his mind. And I think this break could actually be huge for the Flyers. They were in a little bit of a rough schedule. They had a ton of games going back and forth. There was no really time to practice. There was actually one point where John Tortorella said they weren't practicing for the rest of that point in time until the all-star break just because he wanted to give the team time to take a break from hockey and not have hockey on their minds so i'm really interested to see how he kind of how that they come back from this break and how it affects them and only six points out of of a playoff spot these are meaningful games these are the games that john tortorella is looking for when you're playing in games where you're not really playing for anything that kind of takes away the you know the overlook element and seeing who's going to be helpful towards the team in the future. But these are all meaningful games. They're in a playoff hunt still. I don't think they're going to trade for anyone at the deadline. They might keep James Van Riemsdyk now just because they're still in a playoff hunt. I doubt they will, but uh, I don't think they should, frankly. I don't think they will either, but since they're they're still in the hunt, there's probably a good chance. They're six points out. That's three wins. Uh, yeah. They're so they're. I don't like. I said I don't think they will, but there is definitely speculation now that he is, that they're in the hunt. Maybe they don't trade him immediately, but like I said, they're they're definitely probably gonna let him walk. Uh, but other than that, this is just this is huge for the team o- overall. Whether they make the playoffs or not, playing in meaningful games makes the team that much better. Noah Cates, another guy who is kind of struggling at the start of the game start of the season but as the season has gone on he's been producing getting a hang of the nhl more really starting to look good for the future and potentially a player that john tortorella is going to want to keep so i'm really excited to see what comes after the all-star break and excited to see what the flyers can do uh and i'm also interested to see a little bit with the goalie situation because Felix Sandstrom has struggled a bit. Carter Hart, obviously, still an absolute monster in net. And he is just playing with on a whole different level of confidence right now. But they have a little bit of a goalie situation going on with Sandstrom and Urson. So I'm really interested to see what goes on there. But nothing that we can really look at now. And coming up on, on the end of the season, I'm definitely excited to have a reason to watch the games a little bit more. Obviously, when your team is losing makes it a little bit harder to watch the games but with football coming to an end and the flyers still being in a decent spot going to the end of their season i'm excited to see what they can do to close out the season yeah with the caps um we've been four and six in our last 10 um i hope the all-star break is a really good like reset for us because coming after it um I think we're really going to need to step things up. Laviolette's going to need to really get a hold of the team. And honestly, not sure if he's the guy to do that. I think they'll move on from Laviolette at the end of the season. I would like to see Boudreaux back. I think that'd be a cool story. But um, two things we did do, we re-signed Sonny Milano to uh, a three-year deal. It's like 1.9 AAV around there. Dylan Strom, five years of and a five million AAV. I think those are two good signings. They've been playing great this year. They're youthful, and I think we've really seen a difference in them because you've seen they're youthful. They've been playing great. Um, but for the Caps, I'm really interested to see what they do with the trade deadline because I just 
I don't know what they're going to do because I do think there's some players we need to move on from. Like Ovi. Gosh, what a scrub. <laughs> yeah. No, but Eller, Mantha, you could maybe even make the case for Kuznetsov. They won't do it, but I just think, even though he's leading the team in assists, he's just, he kind of reminds me of Alex Semen. I mean, they're not similar in terms of, like, play style because Semen was more of a goal scorer, but they just seem like, when they don't care, they just seem, like, very lackadaisical, and it seems like they have a lot of talent, but it doesn't always get, that doesn't get translated onto the ice always. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what they do, because right now, like, before the break, we were just unimpressive. We were just mediocre at best. We're still fourth and the metro yeah we're two points behind the rangers and three points ahead of the penguins so who knows what we're gonna do i think that dylan strom signing is really interesting because just a couple weeks ago he was a healthy scratch against the flyers Uh, which was that was a dumb decision i just that I think that was his lavillette being incompetent. There's absolutely no reason why he should have been a healthy scratch. And Eller was playing over him. There's absolutely no reason why that should have happened. But with that being said, at the same time, I do think that Dylan Strom has been playing well for you guys. I, mm-hmm. I do feel like there's – if you guys could find a way to still get some youth and keep it not get rid of all your old guys at once – there's there's an even flow of getting rid of people but still bringing in young talent, and I think that if you guys could find a way to achieve that, then you're gonna be in a good spot for years. Dylan Strom is definitely a mm-hmm. huge piece to that because he yeah. was a big signing for you guys this season. Yeah, and our team, if we get hot, we're kind of built. We'd be a very hard team to play against in the playoffs because we have the experience and we're a big team. Because um, you have guys like. Wilson, Mantha, Ovi, we have a lot of guys who are really big and physical, like Strom is 6'3". He's one of our best centers, and he's a very big guy. We're not afraid to throw the body, and Kemper has been actually been playing pretty decent this year considering some of our defensive struggles. But will that happen? No, but I do think we could set ourselves up to have some more first-round losses in the future. Hockey players make me forget about height so much. Like looking at an NFL field, looking at an NFL field, you can see like running backs next to linemen, next to quarterbacks. Like mm-hmm. you can kind of see the difference in heights, but on ice, it is so hard to see heights. So when you well, just they're always moving, and yeah, they're well, always, not not that they're always moving, but also like just with all them on skates, and it's very rare that you get a view of one standing next to another. Like, yeah, with not moving, not doing anything, not bending over there. It's very rare that you see that. So, aside from like Zendano Chara, I have absolutely no clue who is where. Like, the goalie who played for the Lightning for a bit and then he went over to the Stars. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, ben Bishop, but he oh, was he was like six seven. Yeah, he's huge. Yeah, it's just. It's weird to think about certain people at different at certain heights in the NHL. It is just blows my mind. But uh yeah, that that's huge that you guys got Dylan Strom back. Uh real quick before we talk about that other big trade because the trade deadline is coming up March 3rd, I believe is the trade deadline. Uh but and we did see one big trade go through, but how were how are you feeling watching Ovi and Crosby go back and forth? That that was cool to see, and and during the skills competition to see Ovi Jr. out on the ice, I I did like to see that. It's I know Ovi he doesn't always go to the All Star game because the past few years actually he's been treating it as a break and he's just taking the one gamer, but I I thought it was cool to see the Ovi and Crosby on the ice. Um, there was a point in time where I hated Crosby, and part of me still does, but I have massive respect for the guy. We've played the penguins in four different playoff series and when you when you're two teams like that and you're both good it's and you've had a lot of tough playoff series it's hard to not respect them so i thought that was cool that's to see. that's why i ask because i i know you and i share a 
beloved hatred for the Penguins. Mm -hmm. And so just to see what... Because I believe they were number one and two picks of the same year, correct? No. They um, weren't? Ovi and Malkin were the same year. The year before oh. was Flurry, and the year after, I believe, was Crosby, or the year after that. Were Ovi and Crosby both number one picks? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, so that that's where I got confused. I didn't know if one was one and two, or if they were years right next to each other and both ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, Ovi and Malkin were the same year. Uh, but... I, I Yeah, like I said, I know we both share the same beloved hatred for the Penguins, so I wanted to see how you felt about them. They they looked like they were having a grand old time at the All-Star yeah. break. So, uh, and did you see the, did you see where, did you watch the All-Star game at all? Like any um, of the actual of games? But there was one where Ovi and Crosby went back and forth for like three passes. Oh, I, a I, I did see that goal. That was a nice and, little And they, they asked Ovi, they're like, you know what ha what happened on that goal and Ovi's explaining and Crosby's just sitting there laughing the entire time he's exp explaining mm -hmm. the play. So they look like they're secretly buddies, even though they're on rival teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they are. Like it's not really a secret at this point. Uh, and that's that's the thing I know a lot of players like about the All Star games is it's not very often that you get to go hang out with players from other teams and not have you know hatred towards the other. Because obviously, yeah. when you're on the field, you're not being buddy buddy with anyone. Uh, so now going on to that big trade, honestly, something that still involves us just a little bit because it is the Islanders, which are in the Metropolitan. And in my opinion, Islanders got owned in this trade. Hose. They yeah, they got hosed. They any of the adjectives that describe them getting killed in this trade. They trade away Anthony Bavillier. How to Ratty, uh, I'm not exactly sure how big of a piece he is, but also a conditional first rounder, which is if that first rounder is 12 or higher, then it gets bumped back to the next year. Uh, it's a 2023 pick, so for this year. For Bo Horvat. Now, don't get me wrong, Bo Horvat, he's a good player. He's getting paid $5.5 million this year, but the Canucks are retaining 25% of his salary. But they traded away... A top line forward for them because he plays with Matt Barzell. Traded a top line forward. Uh, I I saw he played twelve games this season, so I I'm presuming that Outi Outi Ratty is a kind of prospect who goes back and forth and kind of a two way forward guy. Not a two way forward, a uh, two way contract guy who goes back and forth and they bring him up when he needs to and maybe potentially something for the Canucks later. And then a first rounder. And like I said, Bo Horvat, not a terrible player, but they brought him over at the deadline for all that, and then they had to re-sign him for, and they re-signed him for eight years. Eight, eight years, sixty-five million. That's a lot of money. Yeah, eight point. I think it believe was it eight point two five million. I guess. Um, for years. Yes, I know. I know it was eight at least eight mil AAV. All I know is I. It's a very long deal, and I think it's a little too much money. I mean, he's a good player, but I'm not entirely I knew sure So I knew as soon as I saw they re-signed him that he was getting at least 7 mil. Just because I know the type of player Bo Horvat is. He is a good player, but he's a very... I don't want to say situational player, but he benefits more from having talent around him. So he's not a individual really good player. He is a... Guy who, if you put him on a line with good players, he's going to produce well. But if he's on a line where he's not with other talented players, then he's not going to do anything. And I mean, that's that's how the the NHL works. That's I totally understand that. But He's getting 8.5 AAV. That's a lot. Yeah, I thought it was up there. So, uh, it's... Islanders kind of got uh, bamboozled in this trade a little bit. So, I'm interested to see what happens. But at the same time... Like I said, Bo Horvat's a player for sure, so I'm a little bit worried about him being in the division. And Flyers are going to see him on Monday, so they yeah. we're going to find out pretty quickly how how much of an impact he'll have for the Islanders. But other than that, like I said, trade deadline will be coming up, so we'll have probably a little bit more to talk about when that comes around. But uh, anything else from you? Any any trades you think they're going to make that the Caps might make for a playoff run? Um, I said so. I really don't know. Um, like, I want guys to leave, like, Eller and Mantha, but 
I'm not entirely. They'll probably make a deal or two here and there, but I, I just have no inclination as to what that's going to be. No positions or anything as what you think they might need. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. All right. Well, with that, then we are going to leave it off there. Uh, you guys can follow our Instagram and TikTok where we'll post big news, clips of the podcast and all that over at DC on Instagram and TikTok. If you guys want to email us questions or comments to put in here, it's DC at gmail.com. You guys can check out and follow our podcast on Apple, Spotify, leave a rate and review. And with that, we are going to end it off there. So we will see you guys next week. See you later.